Hello, everyone, and welcome to Untangle, the meditation podcast from Gaiam. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, I sat down with Michael Apollo, the director of the meditation program at the University of Toronto and the creator of the Meditation Essentials course on the Meditation Studio app. Michael is a seasoned teacher who draws from neuroscience, mindfulness, and emotional intelligence. Today, he talks to us about Buddhism, mindfulness at work, and how to get started with a meditation practice. Michael, I'm so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Great to be here. So I want to start out with this uh, question of how you got into meditation originally. You've been teaching for quite some time, but I know there's a a backstory to how you got into teaching. Yeah. um, In my childhood, I was really active. Uh, So uh, playing a lot of contact sports, um, uh, American rules football, um, a lot of martial arts. Uh, And when I, and I always had an interest as well in spirituality, uh, various different traditions how they approach spirituality. And I came across meditation a number of times, but I didn't know really what that was. So it was, it was almost like a, uh, a perfect alchemy. When I went to Thailand when I was 18, I was training in Muay Thai kickboxing on one of the islands I was at. And um, one of the fighters I saw was meditating and, and I was curious. So I asked my trainer, uh, what is what is he doing? And this this was like a champion fighter, and he said, "Well, he's he's meditating to be able to cope with pain." And I just did not understand how the heck that's possible. How how it was just sort of sitting there going to help with anything like that? And so that not knowing uh, piqued my interest. And so how 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 come I don't know that? Are you thinking I need to learn how to do this? I need to figure out what he's doing. Yeah, so for that, it, it, I was, it was very performance-related at that time, too. So I took the approach of, okay, well, this could elevate my skills in some way. So I'm going to give it a shot. Your skills as an athlete? As as a, skills as an, a, yes, skills as an athlete. Um, and then I thought, well, perhaps I can port this out into other aspects of my life because I noticed sort of athletics was helping me with my motivation and my focus and all that. So perhaps this could do the same. Mm-hmm. But then I started meditating and I was just completely lost because there's just so many different styles, so many different traditions, different, is it, is it a religion that I'm following? You know, all these different questions. And I couldn't find the answers that there was, you know, I was reading a lot. Did you have a teacher? So when at, you at first that, started? At that time, no, no. You just read a, and you practiced on your exactly. own. Exactly. And were you practicing breath meditation? What kind of meditation? So I was practicing various different forms. So literally I would just digest Sufi texts. So, you know, doing whirling meditations. Uh, I was doing mantra meditations. I was doing visualization meditations, um, breath meditation. But it was more um, just reading these texts and then trying out what these teachers, various teachers, were sharing until I came across teachers, which then amplified my, my progression, I guess, in, in sort of the different meditative paths. It sounds like you were very 
almost academic in your search. And I, we interviewed Stephen Batchelor, and he talks about being a skeptic in the true sense of the word. And what does that mean to be a skeptic? Mm-hmm. It means don't accept anything on its face value, but you question it and you mm-hmm. try it. And it sounds like you looked at all of these different traditions. And I'm so curious, you know, how you found your teachers and also how you found the style that most resonated with you. Yeah. Well, I think that's very important, I, and I resonate with uh, Stephen Batchelor's work and and sort of the approach that he takes, uh, especially around sort of the, the you know how he defines the secular approach, right? And it's really an individual path that is very much amplified by the connections we have with others, um, and and how we're in service to and with others. While I was moving through, I took a very critical approach to it. Some of the readings I was moving through, I wasn't re- resonating with what they were writing. Um, and uh, and then there were some that I did resonate with, and it sort of was was drawing me. And so um, after university, I had an opportunity to work in this sort of high-powered marketing firm in uh, in Manhattan. You know, so breath meditation was what was so I was sort of gravitating towards because it's, I guess, you know, it was sort of the most simplistic of the of them all, but, you know, I was still far from understanding what it is. And um, when I was in Manhattan, I was starting to um, get a little bit of a deeper inkling to, to what's happening here. So I started looking at different YouTube videos, and that started getting me peaked. And then after um, starting up another business, I went and I lived in Australia for a while. And at that point is when I found... Um, my first teacher in uh, this um, in Vajrayana uh, Buddhist meditation. And what is, what is Vajrayana Buddhist meditation? Sure. So in, there's actually, you know, there's, there's these three principal uh, traditions in Buddhist, um, I guess this Buddhist methodology or this, um, you know, the Buddhist path. And uh, Theravada is um, more of the root teachings of the Buddha as translated in these different texts. And then the Mahayana, I say that they took a, an iterative approach, almost like a, um, a tech firm when they come in and do product development. They constantly build on and test on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So they, they sort of took that approach towards these different meditative, these different contemplative pathways of, of training. And then Vajrayana is sort of this offshoot of them all um, where uh, – you know, you have these. You have this sort of unlocks this other realm of different types of meditation, um, some of which are visualization based, mantra based. So here, I was starting to learn some of those practices, but then I realized how much uh, more I needed to uh, train my mind before sort of coming in and, and uh, working with those practices. So. Uh, I was lucky enough to travel across Southeast Asia and then live in India for a while. And over there, essentially, I would go and I would meditate and and find different teachers that I would move through. And it was very light. You know, I wasn't, you know, it was for maybe a few days to a week in terms of time spending there and training in each of these traditions. And then when I went to India, um, I had this opportunity to sit for a prolonged period of times. Uh, for, were you, you know, on retreat in, when you were in India? Yes. Yeah, so I went for, the, for a number of week, uh, weeks at length mm-hmm. retreats in various different traditions. So I, over there, uh, sort of went to the root of the Indian traditions um, that uh, are available there. And, um, 
and because that sort of seemed to be at the root of what the Buddha was testing with. And then the Buddha took this, um, you know, tried all the different types of methods and said, well, these are some of the paths that really worked for me, and this is how. So is it's a combination of breath and body and compassion traditions, would you say? I mean, if you had to describe it in its most mm-hmm. simple form, how would you describe your style of, of yeah. teaching? Yeah, so, you know, my style is very much it's a life integration. So I try to integrate in all aspects of my life, uh, how I interact with others. Uh, so there's different practices that help me do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these would be, you could call them compassion-based meditation, so metta, Tonglen practices. Um, and then there are more sort of root mindfulness-based practices, so mindful awareness practices. So, you know, while I'm walking, while I'm eating, while I'm listening, mm-hmm. um, and then while I'm sitting in practice, uh, I'll actually open up with um, a meta practice, and then I'll go and I'll do mostly a, a seated awareness of breath practice for a, a long duration of time, and, uh, mornings and nights. And for people who don't know what a meta practice is, so meta is loving that kindness, loving kindness. So okay. it'd be loving kindness, yep. where essentially I, I set intentions uh, for well-being and well wishes for myself and to others and to um, all living, essentially beings that yeah. are out there. What I love about you, Michael, is that you're you really live your practice, and I think that's what so many people are striving for. It's one thing to sit down and meditate in your living room and be done with it and come out into the world and, and be a jerk here or there. It's another thing to really take that meditation practice and become a more mindful and aware person. What advice would you give to people who want to have more kindness and calm in their lives as they go about their days? Yeah. Um, what do they need to do to get to that place? Yeah. Well, firstly, it could be a, like it could seem like a daunting task, right? And so, um, you know, this is something that cultivates over time. So just to trust that process and to be patient mm-hmm. in it. Um, you know, there, there could be a lot of ambition for certain things to turn out a certain way or to be a certain way. And that could actually uh, cause even more confusion and frustration as, as you're doing this. You know, it took so long for us to be conditioned the way that we are right now. So that's not going to change, you know, overnight. So weaving it into our lives and just experimenting where we can, something that really resonated for me from one of my teachers Uh, He said that, um, you know, one moment spent in awareness is something that we can be proud of and and is immensely beneficial. Mm -hmm. So even just to have that one moment where we realize that maybe uh, we were completely disconnected from what's actually happening in the moment Mm -hmm. or, you know, actively resisting something and just taking a moment to connect with that uh, is immensely beneficial. So through practice, we can start elevating our mode of awareness where we're sort of more uh, present with what's actually happening, right? So it's the sensory experience uh, and awareness of others, the experience that we're having rather than constantly analyzing or judging that experience. So, Okay, let me give you a real example because I know this is – 
we all want to be more present and we want to be kinder with each other, or hopefully we do. So what if you're in a work situation and somebody is just a complete jerk and you're ruminating in that jerkiness because you don't know how to talk to the person about that because it can only, you know, there can be no positive outcome because you're feeling so angry maybe or you're just repeating that same story in your head over and over again and each time you repeat it it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and I know so many people talk about that they they feel like when they're not in relationship to other people at work or at home they're doing great yay I'm meditating and I'm feeling really calm and then the minute something like that happens you're off the rails off the rails even if it's just in your head so what's your advice on that yeah, it's not like okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this, all this, you know, all this is happening around me. I'm just gonna be with it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I think um, that's a perception that as well can sort of get in the way. It's, it's really, at first, you know, really taking care of ourselves. I think is is very important before we could even start being kind and start taking care of other people. So, um, in those moments, I always look at what's possible. Right, and and I think from that angle, you ask yourself the question: What is possible right now? I do, I do. I'll, I'll look at the I'll look at the moment, and and usually what I'll do is perhaps not so much ask the question uh, outright, but I'll just notice what's my reaction. And I think that's the first step: is just mm-hmm. to sort of see, okay, what's what's actually happening right now, right, for me, and for this other person. So right there, that's an act of awareness or an act of, you know, mindfulness, being mindfully aware, remembering that there's much more at play here than our inner narrative, much more, much more than usually we can ever imagine. Um, So just to, uh, I would say, take inventory Mm -hmm. is immensely beneficial because if we react in that moment out of anger, how beneficial is that actually going to be? Is that going to resolve anything? And let's just say somebody else is having a bad day and we're trying to fix it. Do, do we think that's a time that's actually going to fix anything? Mm-hmm. And maybe it is. Okay. But most likely in those moments, uh, it's best just to uh, let things be for a while and unravel and uh, allow for us not to be so locked into that sort of inner narrative around what's happening. So if we can't change something, Learning how to be with it is immensely beneficial. But if we can change something, how to skillfully move in towards that is also incredibly skillful and and beneficial. You know, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama will say that um, we all suffer and we all want to be happy, right? So that's that's a commonality across the board. And... um, Usually this other person is suffering in some way. And most importantly, just like we are very usually unaware of the impact of our actions on other people, we only sort of know our intention, our our intention is everything, and it's always right. Um, But now it's about finding out, well, what's the intention behind the other person's actions? And maybe it's different than what we think it is. You know, I I engage in a lot of mindful awareness practices, so it helps me just notice and be aware of what's happening within me 
to be able to regulate myself, my reactions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not always, you yeah. know, it's, it's the reality. But then bring that awareness into the moment, into the situation. And even if it's difficult, approaching the person, and I've done a number of times, yeah. just going, what's your intention behind, like, or is your intention to, to be a jerk and to hurt my feelings? Do you really say those words? I wouldn't say jerk because that's my own assumption. Right. But I would say, is your intention to hurt my feelings and to treat me like that? Because that's the impact on me. And now you've given them a dose of awareness. And then they can usually go, no, not at all. You know, I just feel so strongly about, you know, whatever it is that we were doing that, you know, I I just really wanted to protect it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my intention wasn't to hurt your feelings. It was to protect what I felt was being taken away from me, for example. There's so much misunderstanding. Yeah. And so it's it's really exciting to see the power and the potential Mm -hmm. of uh, some of these ways of... uh, of sort of living and seeing the world and seeing others coming out there en masse right now, the way that it is, especially, you know, supported by this mindfulness movement right. and with the research that's coming out from the neuroscience. And yeah, which is, which is all such a, it's such a positive mm-hmm. trend. I want to, like, go back to the fact that you are a meditation teacher and that you did the Meditation Essentials course on the Gaia Meditation Studio app. Um, so you know a lot about onboarding people for the first time into a new meditation practice. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk to us a little bit about how we get started and and then maybe get into some of the the actual mechanics about how do we sit? You Mm -hmm. know, what if I have a sore back? What if my knees start hurting? I want to know how to sit properly. Sure. um, But I want to know how to get started. Yeah, so how to get started. Um, That's a good question. Well, first go through... A lot of the teachers in the Meditation Studio app, so you can get a taste of the different flavors, uh, the different ways that they facilitate, and see what resonates for you. And I think, uh, you know, with the intention of the Essentials, Meditation Essentials uh, course pack that opens up um, or is, is an offering uh, in the app to, to start your journey, the intention there is to start small and then build up. So a minute a day, five minutes a day? Yeah, yeah. so some research that I've, I've found is roughly two to three minutes a day. Uh, every day has you have a much greater potential of continuing a practice. Than 20 minutes once a week. You're, you're saying it's best to get into, you said, a routine yeah. as often as possible. Don't worry about the amount of time or the perfection of the actual meditation. Yeah. Well, at, at first, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you want to you want to build up over time and... Um, at first, you know, especially when you're starting to not push it to this degree where perhaps you're so uncomfortable mm. that you lament even the fact of sitting and, and engaging in it. The great thing is right now we have YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go on YouTube and, and, you know, find some incredible masters out there as well. And if you want to start going to a much deeper elaboration around certain mm-hmm. exercises and you know, Stephen Batchelor, he has uh, his great website as well that, you know, has uh, um, tools. And so we have access through digital technology right now, like the app, to tap into these teachers. Um, but the main thing is with a community of practice, you at least have a place, uh, an intentional group mm-hmm. or sangha, it could be called, where you come together to help you stay motivated. 
Because that's that's really the key underlying element at first is really set a strong intention. So know why you're doing this. So that can draw you back to the practice. And also rally a group, a community, or an environment that helps you stay motivated. And so what that can look like is setting up a, a space in your in your house, in your room. It could be a little corner. Mm-hmm. Um, that is That is your space that you return to. It has either a cushion there, uh, a chair set up, uh, a bench, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, uh, whatever meditation accessories that that really s- help you s- uh, anchor in that place. Does it matter whether I'm sitting on a cushion or sitting in a chair, or are there certain principles of sitting that apply regardless of how I choose to actually meditate? I think uh, it, it's really at first what's most comfortable for you. There's a there's enough things in this world that make us uncomfortable, and meditation most definitely shouldn't should not <laughs> shouldn't be, be one, one of those. Yeah. Uh, you it, it, the meditation practice itself could be internally uncomfortable, but that's where we can start having some really interesting uh, insights. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could approach them well, and we have somebody that can guide us to understanding that discomfort. But when it comes to physically setting yourself up. Um, you know, usually you'll see images of these yogic uh, masters in full lotus positions, you know, on a rock by a waterfall. Uh, I don't know how comfortable they are, first off, but um, our sort of modern, I guess our Western bodies uh, sitting on chairs so often, we, you know, even just sitting cross-legged on the ground could be uncomfortable. Right. So it's important to Make yourself comfortable, you know, for example, using a chair, you know, a flat chair is a great um, starting point. Lying down if you have back pain is, is just fine. When you are starting to sit down on cushion or, you know, which we call zafus uh, or well, that's one way of, of calling them, or the floor cushion or pad, which could be called a zabutan that goes underneath the zafu cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all things to help set you up for comfort and for stability, balance, and posture. What's important is you want to be alert and relaxed. So it's a comfortable seated position that allows us this sense of uh, a dignified seated posture. Because if we're hunched over and just drooping, we're, you know, naturally our mind is going to follow. But if we're sitting alert, uh, relaxed, comfortable, uh, we bring a sense of alertness, an alert mind into our practice. Do you think it matters what time of day? I know for me, it's often I do it when I wake up because then I know I've done it. Mm-hmm. Does it matter, do you think, or is it the routine? Well, I think that's spot on right there, right? If that's what works for you uh, and you've tested out other ways, then then stick to that if it's working, right? Um, and, you know, it's 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 looking at how can you carve it in as well. Like if if if... A meditation practice, a seated practice, is something that, um, you know, is is something that appeals for you in terms of the intention. You know, you have some underlying intentions behind that. Then um, finding and carving it into your day, scheduling it into your Google Calendar or Outlook, um, and your planner, right? And and just making that time uh, your time is very helpful. Yeah, this is one of the last questions I want to ask you because you started off by saying you had seen this teacher, I think, in Thailand who was meditating. 
around pain. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk a little bit about how we can use meditation for pain and maybe something about your personal experience? Sure. Uh, first thing I would like to say, though, is I think you, you shared something that's very important. And I think you shared that um, anybody can be a teacher. Whatever experience that we're moving through life, that experience could either teach us something incredible uh, or we can choose for it not to. And uh, other people sharing their experiences is an immensely rich way for us to really understand how to be with challenging situations ourselves. There's a story around this, and uh, one of my teachers, Michelle Chabon, actually, who's the founder and the former director of the program that now I direct at University of Toronto, uh, she, she shared with us the um, two arrows. And so there's the one arrow of the experience that we have. You know, it could be the, a deep pain or some suffering that we're, you know, dealing with uh, some a tragedy in our lives. But uh, so how can we just be with that arrow rather than perhaps uh, providing ourselves with a second arrow, which is a layer of our mind resisting the fact that that arrow is within us. Mm -hmm. And that causes so much more stress and, and pain on and top of the original pain. An interesting thing, you know, how you just shared it right there. That's something that you, you sort of come to as a felt sense. Mm. It's like I'm, I'm providing more and more resistance mm. to what's actually there. So if I can release that resistance and maybe choose an opposite, an antidote to it, an acceptance, what could that do? For us, the, what could it do for the relationship that we're having with the pain? So are you saying there's specific exercises and meditations? It's not your regular meditation practice, but you would be doing some additional exercises, if you will, to work with the pain? Yeah. So, you know, with meditation, I find that it's, it's like a mental training. It's, it's a family of mental training practices yes. that help us familiarize ourselves with our own mind and c cultivate certain skills and abilities. Right. Um, in there are certain, uh, so, you know, there are certain exercises that we can do that are focused on understanding pain in a very skillful way. And so they've been, uh, crafted to deal with the experiences that are specific to pain. Mm. And so those exercises, you know, just like you use, um, a certain tool in the tool shed to go and to fix something um, here or, or to go and install something mm -hmm. or to work on something. Here, what you want to do is, um, you know, these exercises can help you apply yourself in the most skillful way towards that experience. Mm -hmm. I, I like what you're saying because I think that there are so many benefits to meditation, but Meditation is like the word sports now, right? Like there are so many different types and styles and exercises within the meditation family. So even if you decide to gravitate to one teacher or one practice, you may go to a different practice to deal with another challenge that you have in your life. I, I'm, I'm really starting to look at it like there are different types of meditations that may help us with different aspects of our lives. Do you think that's fair to... Yeah, and so that's that's actually a tricky um, space right now yeah. in the research world, right? Uh, because in the West, uh, we have this solution-focused type of approach where mm -hmm. we're looking to fix something, 
Um, and in the East, it's more of a life-centered approach. Mm. And so sometimes we might have to go through some deep challenge. Yeah. And, and in that challenge, we'll gain insight. Um, so there is a bit of a, uh, a not knowing around that, mm. right, in terms of using meditation as something that's sort of specifically to fix something. Right, okay. Yeah. But um, there are these, you know, like MBSR, John Kabat-Zinn's program, uh, the eight-week program that he innovated alongside Saki Santorelli out of UMass Medical School. Um, it's, it's so skillful because they make it like a life approach. Yes. So you apply it to so many aspects of your life. And, and then when you're having challenge, you can, you can bring in that learning mm -hmm. into these uh, scenarios. And so um, it's really how do you honor yeah. both of those aspects, right? Where, you know, there's one thing to strive to fix something, but then there's another way to learn. Well, I like what you're saying, too, because that approach of mindfulness-based stress reduction and having that be an eight-week program, there's so many different elements to that. There's, there's yoga can be a part of that and journaling and, you know, improving, increasing your skill around breath meditation and body scan meditation. So it's really very all-encompassing. Some other meditation programs might be just learning how to meditate. You know, mm -hmm. some are more rich with tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy mm -hmm. really is focused on alleviating the suffering associated with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so it gets specific tools yeah. that have been researched yeah. to help with that. And so it's, uh, it's interesting. That's sort of where the East is meeting the West. West is meeting the East. And um, there's some interesting uh, tension right. in, in that right now. But what an incredible time to be able to learn from from all of us. Yeah, you know, well, there's around all of that. so much going on, and there's so many different styles, and I think that's partly why it's confusing for people. So I am so happy that you came in today to talk about what meditation means to you and how people can get started. Um, you've been just so filled with wisdom and insights, and I'm so grateful that you were able to talk with us today. Thank you, Patricia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Michael, and thank you all for listening. We look forward to sharing more inspiring stories on our next episode. If you'd like to know more about Michael Apollo, check out his website at michaelapollo.com. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at untangle at and don't forget to check out Meditation Studio by Gaim in the App Store. See you next time.